This is the Fundamental Podcast. You're listening to stories, lessons, and experiences of student athletes from around the world. And how our athletic crafts have shaped our identities. Welcome to the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Fundamental Podcast, where we discuss stories, experiences, student athletes. I'm your co-host, Chang. And I'm your co-host, Chloe. And today we have, again, very special guest with us once again. And before we jump into today's topics and meeting our guests, I just want to thank you guys real quick to, um, for you guys to just continuing tuning in to our podcast. Um, I appreciate the support. And it's been a while since our last episode. Uh, we promise we'll be like dropping more track. We'll pumping out more episodes for you guys. So yeah, just much appreciated all the support. Yeah, thank you so much. And without further ado, um, Dr. Bollard, do you mind introduce yourself to everyone who's watching? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Joanne Bollard, and I'm located in New Jersey. I'm very excited to be here today. So thank you for having me. Um, a little bit about myself and who I am. Um, I hold a doctorate in sport and performance psychology, and I have a full-time job where I am an assistant professor at a institution in New Jersey. I teach in the health and exercise science department there. I also take on the role as our NCAA um, faculty athletics representative. And um, I love that role so very much, um, helping athletes bridge the gap between athletics as well as academics that I've taken on a larger role within the NCAA at our Faculty Athletics Representative Association, known as FARA, as president-elect, um, which is exciting, and I'm happy to be in that role. Um, outside of my full-time job, I own my own business. It's known as Absolute Fitness, and there I provide performance psychology for individual athletes and teams, and um, that's something I'm so very passionate about, and I'm grateful I get to do in conjunction with my full-time job. Um, I also am a CMPC, a Certified Mental Performance Consultant through the Association um, for Applied Sports Psychology, and I am a Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist through the National um, Strength and Conditioning Association. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we are very much um, thrilled to have you here today on our podcast um, and to the fundamental listeners, I know we typically bring on athletes here from around the world to share their stories, lessons, and experiences. But today we have someone very special that will, um, I think, bring some nuance with the insight that Dr. Bullard will present to us today. So we're very, very um, fortunate to have your knowledge here within our virtual space. So thank you again. Um, and I think the, the one thing that strikes, strikes me through your introduction is that, um, you know, listen and learn, walk your talk. I think that's just the, the biggest thing um, that I'm um, very impressed with is that it seems like you are very involved within um, just the development of how you can support athletes, but then also um, just in a multitude of ways, whether it be, you know, like the physical, the mental, 
um, this, just the general support. So I think that that's really great to hear that we have people like you supporting athletes like ourselves. So, uh, of course. So um, I know you did a little bit of an introduction and the audience knows me well. I'm Chloe. I'm a swimmer from Minnesota and Chang, um, he is a golfer and a basketball player, but of course you've done a multitude of sports, um, badminton, badminton as well. So, um, that's, we've got a lot of different experiences here with us today. And Dr. Bullard, I'm curious if you would like to share with the audience about your pursuit in the field of sports performance psychology and um, really just getting uh, the their certifications that you mentioned, just how that how that all started and where did your passion stem from? Absolutely. So I, way back when, was a collegiate uh, student athlete. I played field hockey at Ursinus College. So I'm a D3 student athlete. And while I was there, yeah, I mean, I think having that experience really shaped my career. I don't think I knew it at that point in time, but um, I was noticing thereafter that majority of the decisions I was making was to get reconnected back with college athletics. So um, my bachelor's was in exercise sports science and my minors were in psychology and coaching. And my initial goal was to be a certified strength and conditioning specialist, which I, which I did pursue. And I worked at another uh, division three institution where I took on that role for eight years and I loved it. Um, during that time I had worked on my master's in, um, sports science and I just kind of knew there was a little bit more that I wanted to explore. And that's when I pursued my, my doctorate degree and, um, after that point in time, I applied for a position and um, in academia. And again, reflecting back into when I was in college, I don't think that was ever my goal or my intention, but it just felt right. And I'm very fortunate I received it. Um, from that point, I've been in this position. This is entering my um, 10th year. And it's extremely rewarding to find you know students who are interested but to take on these additional roles that I can um, reconnect with college athletics. So um, my research, my primary passions and my area of, it, of interest are all about um, student athlete, especially division three level well-being and mental health. And like currently we have two projects right now. One is all about um, transition. So going from like a current collegiate student athlete into life after sports and preparing them for that next step. And then another project is um, fun, a funded project where we are working on um, providing sessions that have um, active movement components, as well as education for off-season student athletes to kind of just help them, you know, throughout, throughout time, work on reducing stress, anxiety, and um, improving just overall well-being. Um, you did say getting like certifications and moving further in the field. And that's something that I knew was important, especially being in um, the role where I am a professor and I have students that want to pursue this field. So I thought the only way I can really talk them through it is if I go through it myself. So um, 
during COVID, I was, <laughs> I was um, finally certified as a CMPC, which was a goal that I had for a while, just with everything else on the table. It, it took me a little bit to get there, but um, the field is so welcoming and um, very collaborative, which I think is great. And I just feel like right now, especially with what we what we just see from the news and mental health and student athlete well-being, it's an area that needs a lot of people involved. So um, it's kind of supporting each other, being collaborative and working together in that space. Right. No, for sure. And I, I really like how you mentioned um, a few times there's this reconnection aspect where it's, you know, giving back, it's, you know, reflecting on the experiences that we've had. And, um, you know, I hope the audience can clearly see that this is very much um, a big part of your life and it has impacted you for the better. And I think that, um, you know, we're very fortunate to have the resources that we do to um, make sure that that impact is positive, but it can be a lot. It's very complex, that impact that it leaves um, the experience itself leaves on student athletes within their their world of sport is very much um, multifaceted and um, can definitely take different shapes over time. But we want to make sure that, of course, it's positive and it's the best um, support for the the person themselves. Um, so that's that's really great that um, you you kind of found that over time. And um, for sure, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely great that you're so involved now. So um, I think with this particular podcast today, um, it's more of just trying to understand, um, I guess, some new insight that we have for, or from you. So I guess let's just dive into the questions. And then I think our, our theme will evolve as as we speak, because I definitely think that we'll, we'll pick up on some patterns. We'll pick up on some really awesome takeaways. So um, looking forward to it, but first things first, I think the um, you know, physical, mental, emotional side of sport, there's, there's so much that has been spoken on, but of course it still needs more. Uh, we can always talk about it more. So oftentimes the world of sport does give a physical or mental ratio um, in performance. So a lot of coaches will say there's, you know, 50, 50, you know, it's 50 physical, 50 mental, um, 90, 90% physical, 10% mental. Haven't heard that one before. A lot of, a lot of times it's the other way around where it's a lot of mental. So let's just explore that a little bit. So what are your thoughts on the balance of the physical and mental during the performance? Yeah, that's a very good question. And when we think about the percentage or the ratio, I don't think there's an exact one. I will, I will say that honestly, <laughs> um, but I do feel that it is very much so individualized for every athlete and performer. And some days we may feel that we are at the 50, 50 and we performed well and we're feeling good. Right. And everything's on, on, on track. Um, other days we may find that maybe life stress picked up and, you know, for a student athlete, we were dealing with projects and finals and assignments, relationships, work, all those other pieces outside of being an athlete, they're still part of us as a person, right? So they are weighing in on us, which could impact our performance. So those days we may find that we are 
you know, 90% mental that day, trying to really, you know, work on our confidence, work on our focus, work on our ability to concentrate and stay present while at practice or at a competition. Um, but I really think that all these pieces, like when we look at it, have to do with every athlete's IZOF. I don't know if you heard about those before, but IZOF is individualized zones of optimal functioning. So we all have like a sweet spot of pressure and performance where we know that, you know, I need to be feeling like this much pressure, this much anxiety in order for my performance to rise. And when we're not feeling enough or when we're feeling too much, our performance is not going to be as optimal. So looking into those pieces, and I know like athletes I work with um, individually as well as with teams, they'll be like, what do you mean we need to experience pressure? Like, well, I, I didn't think we're supposed to experience any anxiety before the start of a game or before we begin practice. And really it's helping an athlete or performer like understand that, you know, can you flip the switch in your mind and recognize that this isn't all a bad thing, right? This is actually your body preparing you and telling you it's ready, like game on, let's get going. Right. And you know, those butterflies in the stomach, the rapid heart rate, the breathing changes, the sweaty palms, right. It might be uncomfortable, but are you able to persevere through it and perform well that day? Right. And have them see that if we were only focused on our physical performance that day, we probably would not achieve optimal performance because we would be so worried and, you know, nervous about why am I responding this way? You know, why is my body talking to me in this manner? So I think that's a, a big piece that sometimes we, we miss out. We don't recognize that kind of sweet spot that we all need to have. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I definitely regarding like your point about like stress, like I've been doing that, like, especially in schools and high school and in college, like there are a lot of like college counselors saying, like, Oh, we have seminars hosting, like how to deal with stress and things like that. Like, People just have this perception where like stress is bad. We're not supposed to have stress, which is completely like just uh, not really true because like, especially I also saw this one TED Talks. I also talk about like the same topic uh, where basically stress is basically um like, it's not really a bad thing. It's just how it push you forward, like make you better. Like make you just like on data performance, for example, for sports, you actually will be more in the zone and you're actually be able to engage with the game, with engage with like the competition more. So yeah, definitely just like, yeah, absolutely great point. Yeah, that, that was a really interesting, the IZOF. So the individualized zone for optimal function, is that right? Yeah. Individualized awesome. zone for optimal functioning. Yep. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. That was really cool because I had never heard something that was so, so well said, I guess, with just the, the struggle that a lot of athletes experience between the balance of physical and mental. Cause I think that, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge how much pressure do I need? What's the environment that I perform the best in, you know, and oftentimes, it's, it's hard to recognize, okay, well, here are the things I can't control because environments within athletics change all the time. You know, you're in a home, home vicinity, you're in a way arena pool, whatever the case may be. And, um, the environment changes all the time. So it's really cool to see how, um, you've, you've basically put into words, just this, this struggle of like trying to pursue, you know, 
what can I control and what can I control well? How can I, you know, take these aspects of my um, performance environment and really, you know, harness them to be advantageous for me and then essentially leave all the rest to, you know, to work, work as it's, as, as it goes, you know, like just kind of let it flow. Um, that's not the part of pressure that we want to control. I'm, I'm sure it's the controllables that, you know, we want to ensure that it's the right amount of pressure for us. So I think that's, that's a really cool thing that um, I immediately thought back to just, you know, my, my swimming experience performance. I know that's something that I definitely struggled with when I was younger. Um, absolutely. Just the, the amount of pressure that I was putting on myself and the, um, the moments where I felt like, okay, there's a lot going on in my environment. You know, I, I feel like this is, um, you know, not supporting me. This is, you know, f- making me feel overwhelmed or like, you know, I, I need to get in a space where like, I'm getting, I have to get really pumped up because I'm around, you know, teammates that are really fatigued. So, you know, so it's just trying to, you know, decipher, okay, what's the best for me. But I think that what a great facet of strength it is for an athlete to really control the IZOF. Like that's something that I never really thought of as like a, a mode of strength before it as in an athlete. But I think that it's just amazing to see athletes, you know, really take control of this. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, it, it's not so much like trying to control the IZOF mm-hmm. as it is to recognize and understand what their IZOF is, like where it lies, because what we'll okay. see is that for every single athlete. So like on your team, you know, say you have 30 athletes on your team, you all don't have the same exact IZOF, right? Like you might have an IZOF where actually less pressure is better for you. And then one of your teammates may need like the full throttle feeling of pressure in order to perform well, right? So it's this continuum between pressure and performance, but every athlete has their own. And that's something that should be kind of like, celebrated and recognized for the athlete to understand that, you know, it's even like if you watch athletes warm up, right. You see some that are really like energetic and hyped up and jumping all over the place and laughing and joking around. And then you see others that are very quiet and reserved and to themselves, they're both warming up perfectly fine, right. They need to do for themselves. And that's really part of their, this IZOF that we're talking about, like, that's part of them understanding kind of how to regulate their arousal levels at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Got you. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's amazing. So like, I can just wonder like a little bit like a follow-up question to that. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think is like the best way for an athlete to find their ICO, like optimal ICOF? So it's like just by trial and error or so there's some other methods. So we all, have it. Um, we all have our own zone. So I think it's not so much finding it as it is of being aware, like becoming more self-aware of how you respond to certain situations, how you respond to certain moments, um, reflecting after games or after, you know, competitions or meets or races, whatever sport it might be. And, you know, thinking about like, how did I feel today at the start? Um, was I feeling overwhelmed and overly anxious? Was I kind of disengaged and a little like 
apathetic about the whole process? Or did I feel like I was in a good zone, like in a good groove? And those moments when they're able to reflect and be like, you know what, like I was in a good spot today. Yeah. Like this is, this is kind of what I need. You know, this is kind of what worked for me at this moment. So that self-reflection piece I think is, is really important. And it's really just encouraging athletes to, to learn more about themselves. You know, most coaches aren't going to walk around and be like, Hey, like what IZOF are you? Okay. What are you like? That's not, that's not normal talking. That's not normal terms of what they're thinking about, but they'll recognize right. In some sports they'll recognize, um, okay, this is a really pressured situation. I'm going to take this athlete out, but throw this other athlete in who loves pressure, right. And can perform at this high level, like boom, throw them in for the next 30 seconds, then pull them back out and put the other athlete back in, you know? And that's all about really understanding that link between how they're processing, how they're able to um, kind of understand how their, how their body is able to respond during those moments, but also, so not just physically, but also mentally be able to perform clearly, perform with focus and concentrate. That makes sense. I think that that gives me a much better understanding. So it's not necessarily about trying to control it, but it's more of like a personality test or leadership style. It's something that you kind of have, but you just want to understand it so you can, you know, best, you know, perform in a way where you know your body well and you know your mind well. So I really like that. I really like that. And I think also with, with Cheng's question, I think a lot of athletes probably ask the exact same question of how I can, you know, get into this you know, prime IZOF. And I think also a lot of athletes, one of the things that might hold them back is just that the, the pressure itself and the amount of fear itself, because, you know, honestly, that's, that's a whole beast when it comes to performance. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're brand new to a team or if, you know, you're on a national stage, like it's, it's all the the same kind of feelings that, you know, come back and kind of hold the back seat in our mind, if you will. So um, what kind of fears do you think prevent athletes from doing their best or finding this prime IZOF? Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot, right? I mean, I think every definitely, athlete definitely. has had some type of fear or some type of apprehension at some point in their career, right? Um, right. I don't think necessarily the fear would hold them back from finding their IZOF, right? Cause their IZOF is part of them as an athlete, but instead some examples of fear could be, I mean, these are very broad and there's many, but it could be like fear of failure or making a mistake, fear of rebounding after a mistake is made, um, fear of the unknown. So I like to call this like the, what if game when athletes are saying, but what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? Right. That's a a lot of uncertainty and unknown that's out there. Um, fear of injury or fear of re-injury, um, fear of sharing how they're feeling or their thoughts about certain situations, uh, that could connect into fear of what other people might think of them, their teammates, um, their coaching staff, administration, spectators, yeah. So I think, th- I think those are some of the fears that I can think of right now. Definitely. I'm, I mean, I know that 
a lot of audience members can probably think to themselves, oh, they have their own, you know, story with at least one of the fears that you mentioned. And um, yeah, I think in terms of just how we're held back, it, at least for me, I know um, there's, of course, like comparisons that you'll do, you know, on a given meet day and stuff. And, you know, especially during championship season, a lot of people will, you know, really you know, intently watch their teammates and see, oh, like, is that person, you know, going faster than I am because we were lane mates. And, you know, it's really interesting to see how, like, even in one lane, if you do the same set, you know, everyone is going kind of the same times, you know, what kind of happens, you know, in the, in the behind the scenes of the two weeks leading up to championship season. And then once, once meets kick off, it, it really kind of depends on, you know, how people perform and stuff. And that it depends on like the, the mental state, the, the readiness, the, you know, the sleep, the hydration, all of that. But um, most importantly, just relying on the training and trusting in the process, of course. So I definitely think that, you know, those, those fears, at least in my experience have come, have stemmed from a lack of trust um, or a lack of, you know, being able to really recognize, okay, like this is the work that I've done and, you know, make it really individualized. And I know a lot of athletes might struggle with, you know, trying to compare themselves or see just in the grand scheme of things like oh am I really this good you know it's like that that kind of second guessing yourself and so I completely understand I I think that it's important for um, athletes to recognize that it's normal I know many times we talk on this podcast about dancing with fear you know just having a record it's all about the record um, the awareness and being able to recognize that these are things that every single athlete um, has, you know, to some extent. And it's just a matter of, you know, knowing that our training and our, our mental state, our our flow state is stronger than that. So I think, you know, in terms of just a, a personal testimony to that, I think that, that, that particular fear resonated with me, but Chang, I'm curious, do you have like a particular fear that you kind of felt engulfed and then just kind of you know like how it's ultimately not as strong as maybe a strength in the sport that you have yeah absolutely yeah so but first of all thank you dr Blow, for like talking about like the fears and how that holding back the athletes and it's certainly like very true in golf especially like for professional athletes like in a in a golf like world um <clears throat> for example if you have one part one of your game is like off like if especially like especially for pro golfers they just have like this intuition like i i think feel my swing is off unless like a tire player called like feel player basically like and they just play based on like feelings and just like okay this feels good to me or this doesn't feel doesn't feel good to me and like once that feeling is like off like they have this fear in their mind okay and they just cannot commit to every shot okay to every swing that they make so yeah, that's definitely holding them back pretty much a majority of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I like can totally understand like the feel. I know swimmers, like I might have mentioned this before, but it's like, you know, a pretty funny joke for non-swimmers to hear, like swimmers saying, This pool feels slow, or you know, 
oh, like this, my stroke just feels off or something like that. But it is true. Like, I mean, it goes to show that we have great body awareness, but sometimes it can be a blessing and a curse because, you know, it's, it's all just, you know, sometimes getting in your head if something doesn't feel exactly right. So um, a lot of trust has to go into kind of battling those fears um, for sure, I think. And, yeah, and I think, um, sorry, just no worries, off. please. <laughs> but I think a lot of that, as you both were speaking, like a lot of that also has to do with um, control and lack of control. So I know when I'm working with athletes, for instance, like those that have the fear of the unknown, um, I've worked with um, a number of endurance athletes, as well as those training for Ironman. And there are some that will say like, you know, what if during the swim, like I get kicked in the face, what if water gets in my goggles, right? What if I get swum on top of, and, um, like during that part of the race. And when we allow those elements to come in, it's usually because we know we, we don't have control over that. We can't control how other people are like, or how our competitors are swimming or how they're performing that day. We can't control aspects such as the water or the temperature outside, or if it's raining or windy, or if it's a beautiful sunny day, right? So really helping to shift and re-strategize that into, okay, like that's all valid, right? How they feel, but that goes kind of in the list of uncontrol, right? I don't have control over this. And instead then add in, but what do I have control over? you know, and allow them to really focus on that and strategize for what they have control over. Um, so for instance, like that swimmer who might be, what if I get water in my goggles, right? Helping them recognize that like, sure. That, I mean, that could happen, but we can't predict that's going to happen or predict when it's going to happen. So instead having in your head space, like if water gets in my goggles during the swim, then I will like, you know, maybe drain them out, take two side strokes and then continue, you know, with my freestyle or whatever it might be. And it just helps like something that simple helps to calm the mind and also put them then back into control. So I think like what the both of you were saying, um, what I was picking up on was that kind of aspect of lack of control, right? And how that can stem into these fears being um, developed and continuing to build. That's, yeah, absolutely. that's a really great point. Yeah. I think that like synthesized it well. I think yeah. we just also just like a somewhat of an extension of that idea. I don't know whether it's like completely right, but like kind of just um, my, especially in like in my pursuance of finance, we talk about risk. Basically, mm -hmm. how we define risk is like um, the possibility of some of alternative happening, like alternative event happening. So, like, I think just for athletes, um, we just uh, sometimes just afraid of these like uh, risks that just uh, something else might happen during the process and just causing that fear and then like just uh, holding us back. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to to look at it. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely important for athletes to be, I think, risk takers, you know, to be able to say, okay, yeah, it's, you know, it's inevitable. Like, I mean, if things don't happen my way, you know, my training is stronger than, you know, one little mistake or, you know, especially when it comes to swimming, if there's like a false start or if there's, you know, if you're held up on the start or your goggles break, your cap breaks, you know, like 
just, you know, it's all about what's in control, not letting it phase you. Um, that's all really important. So keeping the details in check, because most of the time the details just work themselves out and, you know, not are not something that you can kind of micromanage. So it's all about like the agility, I think, at least for swimmers. I know um, a lot of swimmers are just mentally agile with just being able to rebound and, you know, having races back to back, you know, or especially Chang, I know like for, for golf, you know, like, I mean, you, the, um, the match goes like pretty, pretty quickly. It doesn't look like it, but I mean, like there's a lot of things you have to think about for just setting up the next shot or just being able to, you know, kind of understand, okay, what do I need to get, you know, like below the par or something like that, you know? So I think that it's important to, um, you know, really, um, understand like how important it is to be an agile athlete. And I think we also want to highlight just some of the really awesome things that athletes have been doing. So what, in your opinion, uh, Dr. Bullard, are the best things that you've seen athletes do over the years that have supported their, their mental health and their mental state during performance? And, um, if you want to just talk a little bit about why you might think so, um, that would be some really cool insight too. Sure. Um, I think, you know, I think every athlete has, well, this, I guess actually connects into what we were talking about previously with the fear, right? Fear of failure, fear of mistakes, right? We all have our own levels of motivation, right? So um, for those that have higher levels of achievement motivation, we're more likely to kind of like take those risks, take those chances because we view failure or though I shouldn't say we, those athletes view failure very, very differently than athletes that have lower levels of achievement motivation. So somebody with a higher level of achievement motivation, it doesn't mean they love failing or that they enjoy it, but they're able to then look at it and say, okay, like, what did I learn from this experience? How can I improve the next time? And then they're going to seek out opportunities to challenge themselves again, right? To grow from it. And those that have the lower levels of achievement motivation, we tend to see the opposite, right? Failing could be the be all end all. Um, they are not learning from it or growing from it. They're having a hard time getting back and moving forward. So I think those pieces connect into what, what you just asked me about, um, like mental health and performance, what, what's been going well. And I think it's, it's so individualized because when we think about mental health, like, sure, we can think about overall mental health, but we each as individuals have our own, you know, quality of mental health and what we've been working towards and what we've been trying to improve over time. So some things, I guess, more collectively that I, um, see a little bit more often, not, not as strong as it, as we want it to be, but I'm starting to see it, which is a good thing is like athletes that are speaking up right. Or trying to normalize mental health, trying to normalize their struggles. Um, we see a lot with, um, like it's okay not to be okay. Right. And, and embracing that mindset. And yes, we see it a lot with professional athletes because of, especially because of their platforms, but we're starting to see it trickle down into college athletes and high school athletes, and even, you know, hopefully further down too to normalize. So I think that that's very, very important. 
um, because of the stigma that is unfortunately attached with mental health when we do talk about it. Um, so athletes that are able to speak up about their struggles or to speak up in the sense that they, maybe it's nothing like that they're posting on social media or making national, but instead just saying to their coach or their athletic trainer or their faculty athletics rep, like, I'm just burnt out today. You know, I just have to, I, I need a mental health day, right? I need a day to recharge. I need a day to take care of the other stressors in my life. And we see that some institutions are incorporating mental health days. Some are not. And I don't, I don't necessarily know which direction is correct or incorrect because I think it's very individualized, but that's a proactive approach on an athlete's, you know, front and what they want to do for themselves. So perhaps it's just between an athlete and a coach, right. And what they want to hold for their team. Maybe it doesn't have to be institutionally based, you know, um, as to what a policy is. So speaking up, um, seeing them being proactive, for example, like seeking services from mental health providers more on a traditional basis instead of only reactively, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the stigma comes in of we only seek the help after something has happened. Sorry, my dog. Um, instead of as proactively as we can. So those are like three pieces I think are pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. For that. And yeah, I really, especially like your point about the um, kind of the low achievement and the high achievement, like especially for, for myself, like I always try to go on a golf course. I want to do the best. So like every time I hit a best shot, like I put this insane amount like pressure for myself. It's like if it's like all or nothing. So like, yeah, that's definitely like something that's like very true for me. And like kind of just some, I have to have a follow up question to that. So let's say like, on a team that for like a basketball team where you got people like okay we have to win this championship we have to um sweep the all this throughout the playoffs we have to win uh, win different competitions so we have to get to the top and there are also some players okay well if we lose well it's a good learning experience we have a great time on the team so what's the best way to like i don't know what's the best way to phrase it but what's the best way to like balance out like the differences so you're saying um looking into like a team, a team environment and athletes that have different kind of um, desires for the outcome or desires for um, the pressure, like, can you like just value success? I think how they like, value success. Yeah. I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. A little bit. So I think a lot of that is connected into what you do again, like proactively. So um, with performance psychology, and I do this a lot with teams I work with, like you can work with them at any point in time during their, during their year. But one of the prime times to really be working with a team is during their off season because their competition level is low, right? They, it's minimal. If they, I mean, if they have any at all, maybe it's a little like scrimmage or play day or something like that. Um, but they have more time to be able to focus towards certain elements like mental skills training. And that's a really great time to be working with teams and working with them, developing like what their goals are going to be for the upcoming season, as well as then helping each athlete on the team 
begin to establish individualized goals for themselves that connect into the overall team goals. And I think when there's that buy-in piece from each athlete, so now they understand that like, okay, that's great. Cause every team, I mean, every team is like, I, what we want to win conferences. We want to win the title. We want to win. Right. That's, that's wonderful. Right. But what really needs to be done? So it's the nitty gritty, like daily sacrifices that every athlete has to make almost right. Those action steps that they need to take to help them connect into the individualized goals that then help the whole team rise collectively to that end end goal that they're trying to achieve. And I think that's what sometimes, I mean, I can't say all, like I'm speaking very generally, but I think that's sometimes what teams are missing is that, um, that sort of like understanding what everybody's roles are like formally and informally. Right. And, and how sometimes Absolutely. those informal roles play even more of an important role than some yes. of the formal roles, you know? Yes. And, um, but that's where, you know, maybe it's certain elements that they have established and for their individual goals that then now they're sharing with their teammates and their teammates might be like, well, you don't get a lot of playing time, but like, I didn't realize you're really working on, I don't know, um, your sleep hygiene this, this, you know, season, like, that's really cool. Like, what do you do? Right. And it, it, it kind of like normalizes and opens up those talking points for them to realize that they're all doing something to help the team rise up, right? Like you have to have a strong foundation, a very strong base for any team to achieve success and move forward. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. And I, I think that there's a couple points that you said that really struck me. There is one where you were talking about just the overall detail and how detail matters, you know, especially on a team. And I think that, you know, what immediately came to my brain was um, you know, small actions, big impact, like and big, big intention. So it's all about just the, the intentionality with those um, you know, daily actions that you you do every single day for the team and you know what you do for the team you do for or what you do for yourself you do for the team you know so like that's that's a really big thing to you know hold ourselves as members of a team accountable for because you know the choices that we make can ultimately carry over to you know how we inspire others on the team or you know how we lift each other up because you know when we work on ourselves we're ultimately giving our teammates and our coaches and the greater, um, you know, community around us an opportunity to be inspired from us. And I think that's just a really um, great way to understand like how self-development is really vital to, you know, athletics and just the ability to train in our sport. So I think that was really great insight for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. And I think this one is probably a no-brainer and a lot of audience members are like well of course Chloe of course an athlete's mind is you know important and performance and a preparation to race but I think that it's important to understand how much so I'm going to ask um our guest today here do you believe an athlete's mind directly affects training or preparation to race and do you think that an athlete's physical ability and their, um, you know, just all they, all they've done in training, everything that they've done in like the weight room or the gym or on the court, 
on the field can do you think that has the power to overcome a bad mindset or do you think that the mind is pretty powerful enough to kind of give that some healthy competition so you have to do both <laughs> right i think that's the most important piece like we can't just rely only on our mind and never train our body although right. some may really like that right like just visualize and then don't train a day and you're good to go right that right. won't work. Um, and the other way, I think it's important to realize that, you know, if you don't incorporate, if the athlete's not incorporating mental skills, training and working on, you know, certain strategies, you can't say that they're not going to be successful, right? Because if they, maybe they're very well skilled, they have good movement patterns, they have good genetics, right? And everything falls in line. But I think the real question is, are they truly reaching their potential? I don't know. Right. So when we think about the connection piece and that association between the mind and the body and preparation, I think a lot of it is, and I said this a little bit before self-awareness and self um, regulation are the biggest pieces for any athlete that they need to be working on. And that really carries into perception. And when you I'm just going to move to another location because my dogs are going nuts. But um, do, um, how about we stop on that thought? You let me know what you think about that. And I'm just going to relocate my lo my room. Of course, of course. We'll do a little a little break for the audience. So yeah, audience members um, can definitely think about this in a way where, um, you know, of course, it's using the resources that we have available to us. And our resources can be defined in, you know, coaches, parents, teammates, uh, ourselves, you know, like, are we really digging in deep? Are we reflecting? Are we, you know, kind of understanding, okay, well, am I doing everything I can, you know, both in and out of our sport, you know, day to day to make ourselves better. And, um, you know, when we ask that question, it can sometimes be a tough question because it's very easy to just, you know, kind of go through a certain formula, but if we don't, again, do some risk taking and kind of explore, okay, well, what's, what is good for us? What makes us feel, you know, a little bit out of our comfort zone? Cause maybe that's good. You know, maybe, maybe doing some visualization, maybe journaling our workouts, maybe, you know, catching up with a new member of the team or something, you know, like after practice, those are things that might be new, but might ultimately support our own performance. So it's good to, you know, take those initiatives and just kind of test out to see, okay, well, Again, you know, it's all part of understanding and recognizing, you know, our IZOF and, um, you know, making sure that we kind of appreciate and respect ourselves in that regard. Absolutely. So, and thank yeah. you for doing that. I, I have walked away from my dogs. Um, no worries. <laughs> there's a lot of bunnies outside right now. Um, but what I wanted to also add in that um, to explain a little bit more is a lot of it also is perception, right? So those environments, when we think about um, preparation for a race, preparation for a game, like this is what I think is really interesting. Like when you think about team sports and you think about like teammates, right? You're in the same environment. You have the same coaching. You, you know, you're experiencing quote unquote, very similar things, Um why do some people, right, right, if some athletes really struggle with certain aspects and others don't respond in that way, right? So where is the switch off where some are very mentally prepared and ready to go and others are not, 
right? So perception absolutely can impact like how they perceive that event can impact what they might feel they need to prepare for mentally. And in this field, it is interesting to see sometimes you're working with athletes that are training for an event that's nine months away. And they're starting with you on week one, because they know the importance of like, I, I want to be working on my mental skills. I know that's going to help me get through this upcoming, you know, marathon or, or triathlon or whatever it might be. And, um, I want to do it because it's a good thing and not something that's negative. And I think that's that stigma that, or even myths of sports psychology that we sometimes see, right? It's negative. It's a bad thing. If we're incorporating these strategies, when in actuality, it's a good thing. Wonderful. That's, I think very true. And, um, you know, of course, getting a head start on, on the season, um, what you said really just resonated with seasons picking up again for our audience members, you know, maybe there's a transition in between different seasons, or maybe there's even a, a bigger transition into a new level or some new goals, um, long-term ambitions. So all those things are really exciting and those things are constantly, you know, happening within our world of sport. So um, it's always important to just recognize, you know, what, what we need to do to be successful. And, um, you know, while there's definitely, of course, the wonderful ride of the journey that's you know the most important part it's really vital to you know do some planning and kind of outline okay like you know here's here's my vision you know how do I get there and what are the resources and what do I need from you know everyone but most of most of all what what do I need for myself like what am I gonna demand of myself this season and you know really sticking to that holding ourselves accountable because again what we do for ourselves we do for the team so yeah that's a really great point. And also with that accountability, like you mentioned holding yourself accountable, which is hundred percent important, but also thinking about like who else on the team can hold you accountable. And right. that's something that like, when I work with teams, I really try to have them work on because we can hold ourselves accountable, but we could also let it slide, you know, and then be like, Oh, I'll get back on it on Monday. Right. But if you have somebody else checking in with you, and wanting to know like how you're doing, right. It, it's now they're holding you accountable because you are doing something for the team. So you don't want to let them down and you don't want to let the team down. So it's like one more piece, you know, to consider or to think about. Awesome. I, I definitely agree. And I think that it's really exciting to get so much breadth. I think that we've covered um, so much within, you know, this, this period of time where we've talked about, you know, just the, um, of course, we started off with the IZOF to, you know, really understanding, you know, the fears, what's, what might be holding us back? What does discipline look like? What does success look like? I think that, you know, all those things are really great components of, you know, our, our mind and training our minds. So um, I think that if anything, this should be, you know, your, um, little brainstorm helper, you know, as you're making your goals for the season to our audience members, I think that this podcast is definitely something where, you know, if, if I was listening in, I would definitely, you know, sit down and write my goals, but also, you know, it's great to hear from um, so many different experiences of, you know, what, what people have done before. And, you know, especially with some expertise here, you know, I think that's really, it's really great to understand, um, you know, how to create goals. So, 
that's that's also very important. So I think the last the last really important thing: what universal message do you want to spread to audience? Take something away today. What's something that you want them to remember? Hmm. There's there's a couple. <laughs> I think there's a couple I'm going to share. Go for um, it. The first one, and this is kind of my cornerstone um, when I work with athletes is, and even my students in the classroom, right, is um, spending time for self reflection and self awareness. Like the only way to grow, and recognize that there's always the potential for growth, right? There's always to develop more into the person you're becoming. And we just go through, you know, different life stages, different experiences, and they shape us in unique ways and unique patterns. So spending that time for self-reflection is a good thing. And that's something that I think some people do regularly. Other people might rush through and others don't approach. And um, that would be one of my pieces. Like, work on learning who you are, because the only way to know where you want, the only way to figure out how you want to get to where you want to get is to know where you're starting from. Right. And then you can think about kind of like what you were saying before with like the resources you have available, the demands placed against you. Right. And then you could start to weigh out strategies and move forward in that direction. So that's one Avenue. Um, another message is to really normalize sports psychology practices um, and mental health practices for athletes and performers. And the more proactive and preventative they can be, the better. I, I like to use the term like, you know, if you're fearful of an injury or if you've been injured before, right, and you are training for an upcoming race or you're a student athlete, right, you might go to your PT or your AT for preventative prehabilitation exercises, right? So that way you don't get injured again, or you decrease the odds of that injury reoccurring. So if we could do that for our physical health and well-being as athletes, why can't we also do that for our mental health and well-being? You know, so thinking about more of kind of like the prehabilitation um performance psychology side um instead of it only being reactive as I have addressed before. So that would be my other my other part. Um and then my third piece, which would be my final piece is to recognize that like you're not alone as you go through this process. Um there are very depending on you know, if you're a college athlete, a high school athlete, or even a youth athlete, um, or even an adult athlete, like a recreational athlete or an athlete that's pursuing on the next level, we all have environments, right? We all can pull together our resources and connect with individuals who can help us. So really think about like what people, what types of individuals would you need if you're trying to create your own holistic collaborative um, collaborative, collaborative um, environment for yourself to help you really work on, again, like that growth, like addressing mental health, addressing physical health, addressing performance psychology, and really making yes. it as, you know, well-rounded as you can, because you at the end of the day are in control of you and you know what you need. And there are people out there that 
will help you, whether they're on your campus, in your school, or outside professionals that can really help you kind of build that strong collaborative network for your for your well-being. Those are wonderful pieces. And I am so grateful that audience um, hear those those three takeaways because I think that um, those are definitely something that I'll all remember. I mean, I think it's it's amazing what, what um, your community can do for you. So remembering you're not alone is very important. I think that goes along with, you know, normalizing all these practices and you're really putting in the effort and, you know, making sure that we are doing everything we can for, you know, our, our mental state because um, it's very powerful. And, you know, as we, as we call, you know, our podcasts, you know, fundamental, you know, it, it's definitely important to really fuel our brains to be, you know, the best it can possibly be in performance. So we really, really appreciate your insight. And I think Chang is going to finish us off with just a checklist of things for the audience to do today. And um, we'll wrap up our session today after that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So thank you All so right. guys. Thank you so much again, Dr. Bowler, for like, your words of wisdom and her advice, um, just uh, for all my audiences out there. It's not just for sports. Now you can use it for like doing schoolwork, or you're working, going to doing internships over the summer, or just uh, when you were to go in full time in any jobs. So that's like, just like very important things you can take with you once you like um, progress to those uh, stages of your life or your career. So yeah, again, thank you so much for that. And as for the checklist, um, so um, well, again, if you want to hear more about these amazing episodes, we have a lot of past, and you haven't checked out past episodes yet, please do so. Um, we had amazing guests from all around the world, from Argentina to India to Sweden and all parts of the United States. So please just uh, check them out. Um, you know, we just talk about amazing topics such as this one today. And if you haven't done already, we have an Instagram. Um, it's the same thing, Fundamental Podcast, where I personally post uh, quotes. Uh, it's called Motivational Monday. It's going to be quotes from professional athletes, uh, just give you the energy to power through the week, or just uh, bring you, like, give you the motivation to continue work on your craft. And yeah, and that's pretty much it for everything. Um, did I miss anything? Of course. Or I'll... I'll take the uh, the part where we we plug our um, Google form for signing up. Um, we're definitely very appreciative for our guests reaching out and asking questions. So please, please don't hesitate to either email us at the fundamental podcast at gmail.com or just send us um, a DM on Instagram or of course, filling out the form. Just even even if you're remotely interested, we'll be in contact with you. We'd love to see you. Um, as a guest on the on the fundamental podcast and I'm sure that um, anyone would contribute um, something really great that audience members can be inspired from so I'm definitely looking forward to the next podcast because I feel like they just keep getting more exciting so thank you so much to everyone tuning in today I was your co-host Chloe and this was your co-host Chang and this was your fundamental podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Bullard, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. Thank you.